Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, last week, if you were with us, Alex and I started with what was going to be a discussion of the paradigm shift for kind of looking at two-color pairs, moving away from this idea that using the guilds is just a, a generic naming convention. Uh, and part of the idea behind this was Strixhaven and really introducing these schools, these colleges that really have different philosophies or takes on the two-color pairs. Um, that was our plan. That was, and if you listened last week, you know that it, we started off by talking specifically a little bit about Killian Lou. Um, so today's episode is going to be a follow-up from that. Before we get started, I just want to make sure that we give a shout out to the Grinding Coffee Company. So they are a black-owned LGBT-ran coffee company that just did a successful Kickstarter um, over the uh, over. I mean, at the end of last year, uh, the end of December, um, we. Partnered with them very early on. They are they they really targeted gamers. Um, Elia the Veil vale was kind of who brought our attention to them, and they've just there's some coffee that we love, and so we always want to make sure that we're giving them some support. So as I said last week, we kind of brought up this idea of the the paradigm shift that we might have with talking about two color pairs, um, but we hit kind of a a sticking point that Alex and I admitted was kind of an awkward one for us to be discussing, um, which was Killian Blue. A character that when he was first announced with artwork was something that I think brought a lot of hope. Um, and unfortunately, what we talked about last week and what our guests are going to hopefully have an insight into more than Alex and I is something that just couldn't be ignored and something that we want to kind of talk about head on. So th that is anti-Asian hate and especially the rise of this in America and in other parts of the world, especially with COVID-19. Um, but even in America, there is this anti-Asian hate that I think does not get talked about as much as maybe some other forms of discrimination. And this has been from anything to do with the internment camps during World War II to the recent mass shooting near Atlanta. This topic is often skirted. Um, luckily, within our magic community, we have some strong, powerful voices, and they are very willing to call out kind of concerns that they have, especially when it comes to this representation. So we asked them to be here. One of them is a guest that we've had on. This is her third time. So welcome back at Kilnfine Potter, <laughs> uh, Michelle. Uh, I actually laughed because I think last time you were on, we talked about the fact that like, so you were our very first guest three years ago. Yes. Oh my goodness. In the old times when you actually had this like even bigger Twitter following <laughs> before your first screen name got like shut down actually, unceremoniously uh, or was it ceremoniously oh uh, so uh i actually have a bigger following now which is great i guess oh, that's maybe awesome. but that's like great. then it was like i just so when you got shut down i mean it was like yeah basically you you threatened threatened to kick turfs off of a that fake island throw. yeah i threatened to throw transphobes off oh kick transphobes off the cliffs <laughs> oh, of Themyscira, aka the um the island of amazons <laughs> that world woman it comes from and I, I i i don't know if i would necessarily kick someone off at that point it seems like a lot of effort i would just maybe gently nudge them onto a boat and then just like push the boat off and be like Bye. yeah <laughs> goodbye but, but yeah. we had Michelle on. That, I mean, that's that's that. And Michelle was our very first guest. We talked about the color pie of art, um, our first in kind of the color pie series that we've done. And then more recently, um, wow, has it been almost a year for this too? Yeah. Uh, to toxic masculinity and Jace. I mean, I feel like it's now been a while, yeah. even for that. Oh my! So goodness. welcome back again, Michelle. Thank you for having me back. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is this is great. It's always a pleasure. Thanks. I, we love having you anytime. And you, you you have such the wide range of topics, but this one I think is something that I can't imagine having somebody else on for, except for at Barbarian's Riddle. Rids1. Did I, I, I do not know your handle, Ryan. You know, honestly, I forget it most of the time too. I think Twitter just shortened it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just, I just, just go along with it. Riddle, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the strangle okay. of flavor text, but you know, I didn't want to be associated with Ted Nugent. Because that song is horrible. <laughs> it's my favorite magic card. One of my favorite magic cards, but it's a terrible, terrible song on many yeah. different levels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not the least bit being that it is um, uh, Ted Nugent. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. so Ryan is somebody that we've actually uh, have wanted to head up on the cast for a while because he has been a very big supporter um, 
a loud proponent for our show. He helped us. He's given away, wow, uh, multiple things through our cast as a way to kind of help boost our numbers, even kind of being the reason that we got to the number of followers above a thousand that we have now was a, a, a big part of that was a giveaway that Ryan did for us. And Ryan is somebody that I personally can attest to. Um, and I didn't do introductions at all, but this is Hobbs Q speaking, just in case you don't know that. My pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm half of this podcast along with Alex. Uh, Alex, do you want to introduce yourself then? Just sure. we're doing that. We yeah, forget this just, all the time. Yeah, just get my intro out of the way and then I can get out of the way because we have wonderful guests who we want to have give the give the floor to. So I'm Alex Newman on Twitter at Mel underscore chronicler. My pronouns are he, him. So uh, Ryan is somebody that I, I think is one of the people I talk to the most on Twitter, kind of um, both on my timeline, but also just in DMs. And he's somebody that I, I think I've had a, grown to have a pretty good relationship with. And I think this is a topic that he has been interested in long before the most recent kind of situation with Killian Lou. And I'm glad that he agreed to be on. So I, I do want Ryan and Michelle, if you want to formally kind of introduce yourselves. Oh, Ryan, do you want to go first? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Ryan. Um, I do a little bit of everything and a whole lot of nothing as the saying goes. And my pronouns are he, him. Um, yeah. Hi, I'm Michelle Rapp. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I am a, let's see, I, I guess I do some content creation for Magic the Gathering. Um, I used to have a podcast called The Lorgoifs. We are currently on sabbatical. Um, but I am also a ceramic artist and I occasionally write things for Card Kingdom. Right now I'm actually in the, uh, right about to uh, start the last episode of my three episode campaign arc uh, with Letting Ready Run for Queer as Hell, which is yes. basically uh, a group of bards who have been <laughs> summoned <laughs> to the third level of hell to get an arch devil back on his feet in time for his daughter's wedding. So um, final episode is tomorrow, uh, but you can get the episodes. You can catch the episodes up on YouTube if you haven't seen them. Um, it's a lot of fun. Tomorrow being relative, we are recording on oh, Easter Sunday yeah. right now. It will be um, It will be on the Monday after Easter Sunday. <laughs> so, uh, so two days before this episode comes out. So go back and listen to it. Yeah, by that point, by that point, it will be on YouTube. So you can definitely check it out on Letting Ready Run's channel. That's awesome. So yeah, so um, basically we linked two threads that you both had kind of, uh, it, well, I, you know, I think that kind of started out, you know, Ryan, you had basically pointed out the fact that they had taken Killian Lou from the beginning and gave him, we finally got a little bit of story on him when they were introducing each of the different um, schools or colleges and they introduced Silver, Squil Silver Quill Introduce Killian Lou. He's the student. And the first thing we get is two little blurbs on him. And yeah. Yeah. Overbearing dad. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, that's really new undiscovered ground we'd never heard of. There totally wasn't like a Halloween for Disney original movie based around an evil Asian overbearing father trying to dominate whatever. I, I, you know, the plot was really loose at that point in the movies. But yeah. <laughs> it really loose for Disney. Uh, yeah. Even uh, that. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. But he's also hardworking. Like, let's not forget. Yeah, think, we can't forget that. These are good. These are good stereotypes. Yeah. So much, well, so and, much honor and dignity. So much. I was gonna say, and, and doing it for honor and for his family. Yeah. Um, he, and he wants to master light and dark, but there was kind of this, you know, it really is this rigid discipline. I mean, we kind of talked about some of these keys here. His failures are his father's failures. And when that story hit, it, it was like there was basically almost like a letting out of air, I think, for the for the hype that had been around the set. There's been a lot of hype around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I remember waking up in the morning. So I'm not sure where you are, Ryan. I'm on I'm on the West Coast. So I remember waking up that day, and I think you had tagged me on Twitter or pinged me. And I remember like, so the moment I wake up in bed, I'm like, okay, let's let's get rid of the stuff in my inbox. Let's see what the world is up to. Oh dear lord. <laughs> And I was just like, I have like this. What? No, no. It felt it was it was a real letdown because I think ever since I heard about Strixhaven, which I think was about a year ago or so, when they um, 
released the timeline for the new sets, um, people were like, ooh, Michelle, Strixhaven, it's got It has owls. It has owls? Let's be honest here. It has owls. It has (laughs) owls. If you don't, okay, Uh, heads up, if you don't know, I really like owls. I think they're great. They're the cats of the sky. Um, They are very fluffy. And I love them very much. They're not very bright, but they're super cute. Um, (laughs) So I love owls. I also love like learning and magic. And it's like, this is so your set, Michelle, many people told me. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm going to save my money. I'm going to finally try to bid for like an original piece Mm. apart from this thing. And then when Ryan sent me that, thing, I just, I just felt like, oh, it's like watching a sandcastle, like just get swept oh. away into the sea. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh no. And then like uh, behind the, the castle, like you just see like, I don't know, something terrible, like a bunch of rusty knives. And it's just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that, that extra detail is really what sold that. Yeah, I'm just like, ah, oh, this is not at all the castle of dreams I wanted. This is just a pile of knives that will give me tetanus. Oh no. <laughs> Racist tetanus knives. This is not what I wanted. And I think that that was when, I think, you know, shortly after you woke up, Michelle, you 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 did write a, a pretty long thread i mean yes um, seven of six seven of six (laughs) yes because that's all i always that's i love that's my favorite part about threads um because you got to say one more thing and your postscript was basically you know even if it was like a land that you were expecting to see and creates an honor token i'm just wow (laughs) so you you came in with this long thread and we did link it last week and then it'll be linked again um this kind of brings up, I think, you know, is Ryan said from the beginning, like a specific type of stereotype and even this idea of stereotypes that are positive. So why should anybody be offended by them or be bothered by them? You know, these are good things. These are hardworking Asian students. So the model minority myth uh, was created by a white cis male um, sociologist, um, gosh, I think his name was like Peter something, something. Um, but it, it, this was a, um, soci- this was a sociology report that he created a study that he did in 1966, which chronicled the success of Japanese Americans post-World War II, um, essentially, uh, tracking and measuring how well they were doing post, uh, their detention, um, during this period and how they were able to get back on their feet. And at the time, um, obviously there's a lot that this, this myth like really omits in terms of the reality of the situation. Right. Um, but I think that the, a broader American consciousness caught on to this idea because it became a really easy way to bolster the myth of American meritocracy um, and Mm -hmm. the path to the American dream, you know, for a long, it has, it's a cemented part of the American, um, American, like American DNA, I would almost say that uh, the way to find success in this country is if you work hard, you play by the rules, you um, keep your head down, you're able to make it, you can make it. And yeah, if you yeah. you don't need to do anything other than prove that you are hardworking, that you like you said that you follow all the rules that you know it's, you know it comes up a lot with this idea of like well if the person had only listened to the police or only complied and the idea was as long as you did all of the things that you were supposed to do you 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 know this country is built for you that is the melting pot that wants everybody regardless of their background and um. So Michelle had mentioned to me when we were talking about this episode, uh, a video on, on Asian hate, uh, which I will also be linking in here, which I, I watched. And it talked about this idea of, you know, the, the model minority really came after they, they moved to a quote unquote merit based system for immigration. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and as you said, you know, it tries to use all these statistics that are manipulated in some ways. I mean, they, they show the good side of things of since the end of World War II, when we put Japanese people in internment camps, look how well that they've done compared to other groups. Mm-hmm. And a similar study was, uh, so the original sociologist, his name was William Peterson, um, a similar study was released um, shortly thereafter that chronicled like how well Chinese Americans were doing, and I think that very much took into account mostly the um, mostly middle and upper class uh, immigrants that were coming in from China um, and from other areas. So, because uh, America moved to a merit based weighted system. It basically brought over folks from other countries who were able to afford higher education and higher degrees. Um, so, of course, that would translate pretty easily, I think, a lot into um, American culture, uh, American society at that time. Of course, when we look at, uh, of course, you know, um, we always like to talk about the fact that no culture is a monolith and that very much applies to Asian Americans as well. Um, and very clearly, if we see, for example, if we break down the statistics for, um, folks who came from upper middle-class families from less war-torn regions, such as Japan and China and Korea versus say, uh, folks who come from Laos, uh, Vietnam, the Philippines, um, these regions that uh, were very much war torn, like my family, I'm Vietnamese, and um, we came over here, and those groups tend to not see as much success, um, simply because of you know the fact that they just weren't given those same advantages that other immigrants had. So it's um, that's what's I guess coming from like if we're going to return to Magic the Gathering, like coming from a blue player perspective, well, like we will at some point. <laughs> like at least, I mean, we're, yeah. at least for me, it's like if you're coming at this from like a blue player standpoint, or at least the philosophy of blue, which is like you know you always want to improve yourself, and you know you always want to find out information that can help you find a better conclusion to come to. Like it's very clear that the model minority myth is is simply a myth. Like it is very untrue. However, not a lot of people fully understand the um, statistical manipulation um, that has gone into creating this idea. As you said, kind of treating once again, um, you know, somebody I, I saw recently mentioning that Asian American almost gets used or Asian almost gets used as a, a diaspora similar to like Hispanic, where you're covering so many different groups. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, you, you can show that on average, and we know how averages get manipulated, that this is true. Um, but if we look at disparities between the top and the bottom, you know, that was one of the things that the documentary made very clear was that the gap between the top and the bottom for Asian American communities is actually one of the largest, or I mean, is the largest. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but this myth is something that's persisted and it's become a part of, I would say, our zeitgeist and our culture when it comes to Asian Americans. And I would say, Ryan, you and I were talking about this when we got on to test a little bit earlier. And I think this is a concept that is something that you have, I would say, something to talk about. <laughs> oh, you mean how it's used as a way to divide um, different people of color against each other? Because yeah, if you keep them, yeah, because if you keep them fighting, then they don't have like, oh, like in the documentary again that we keep referencing he specifically brought up how like it's often used as a tool so that way we aren't like asking like why or what was the metaphor they use there's this old metaphor for crabs and how oh, no, crabs in a barrel crabs in the barrel and how they never let any other crab escape because the idea is that at least you're down here with me rather than focusing on disassembling or destroying the barrel they more folk or getting out they focus on keeping each other down and that's kind of what the mall minority myth does mm -hmm. And oh, so just to be uh, clear, the the documentary that we're referring to is um, we need to talk about Asian um, Asian hate. Uh, it's by the Try Guys, who you may mm -hmm. know from BuzzFeed, who have since then left BuzzFeed and do things like eat the entire menu of Burger King. Yes. <laughs> but occasionally, <laughs> I love their yeah the videos <laughs> that they even showed in the, the the clips they showed was amazing. Yes, for... it's it's really I enjoy their. Let's just say like for self-care i've been watching keith eat so many at so much fast food um <laughs> but but uh yeah you should definitely try it. it's it's uh narrated by eugene yang who is mm -hmm. um the the korean member of the try guys so definitely check that out 
it threw me off a little bit too because there's a different a YouTube channel I watch called the Try Channel, which is a bunch of Irish people try <laughs> foods and things. No, <laughs> no, very different, very different. Um, also good for self care because I really enjoy the Try Channel, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but another thing that that the the model minority does this sort of statistical manipulations do too is is it helps to build this false narrative of well you you mentioned it earlier about the meritocracy and and so it it, it makes a convenient excuse frankly for whites who want to ignore a lot of these the racial disparity issues to say well see it's not all minorities that are having problems asians are doing just fine it's the equivalent of the parent going like your sister karen is a fucking is a doctor why can't you be like karen you know it's just it's the same thing it's it's i mean that's pretty much what it is it's unfortunate rather than both siblings going like you know what you're doing what you can do i'm doing what i can do and that's great and we don't need our mother's approval in this particular instance which Um, kind of sorry so no no go ahead which go ahead. I was just say that kind of segues into the the tiger parenting. <laughs> yeah. Um. Before we to go into the tiger parenting though, do you mind if we go into yellow peril just for a hot second? Ooh yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we talked. So another really fantastic podcast that I uh, was on um, was Asians represent the wrap up. We where we talked about this same thing too, but it was an all Asian cast and it was a lot. We analyzed all of Killian's cars. It was very in depth and very cool. Um. But the flip side of the model minority is the yellow peril. Now, Asians were not always seen as, uh, you know, successful minorities. Um, when we, when Chinese railroad worker, when Chinese workers first came here, um, mostly male, um, they were here to work on the infrastructure of railroads across the United States, and they were being paid less. They uh, were seen as, you know, uh, scabs because they accepted lower pay like they had a choice really they didn't um and and they were often seen as like being as like spreaders of disease and being unclean and possibly here to take your white wives and like um and this is sort of the inverse of it's the other side of the model minority coin right because there is such a thing as like quote unquote the bamboo ceiling where we and I see the, I've seen it a lot, at least within my experience in the tech world, where you, people definitely want to claim Asian Americans as a minority to point at and be like, "Oh, hey, we're diverse." But to actually give those individuals power and a voice to make change is not something that um, white America, at least within many of the more powerful avenues of um, change and whatnot, are not willing to give. So it becomes a method of tokenization and also like yes you can be successful up to a point but after that point it it becomes like you're taking our jobs you're taking our wives you're taking you're spreading disease and this is definitely the the quote-unquote darker side of the asian stereotype well and it's where it becomes the interesting like it's it's the extremes that we have seen even in current society i mean we've actually seen more of that quote unquote the the rise back of the yellow peril recently and you know that there we could just say it you know calling something kung flu calling something the china virus is that language and and it was very much you know when we started this out with the pandemic saying that these came from you know eating bats in wet markets and there was a lot of this rhetoric that goes back to the yellow peril as opposed to the model minority that started popping up again. And not so surprisingly, the right of hate crimes or against Asian Americans has been on the rise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really unfortunate to see this. Uh, I've been uh, just a little background about me. I was raised in the middle of the country, so South Dakota. I was kind of raised around this kind of racism and hatred. So unfortunately, it wasn't that much of a surprise for me, but it created this weird interaction between the uh, the Asian American community and, and white society because we have a lot of Asian Americans. And I, I don't know, maybe Michelle, you could back this up with your experiences, but I talked to a lot of Asian Americans in my community. And when this started to happen last year at the beginning of the pandemic, they were shocked and some thought that like, oh, that wasn't race race related. It must have been the guy did something or something. Like they were in denial because they had gotten this weird sense of comfort. I almost wonder if the mall minority thing could be used as sort of a tool to create this weird complacency or this kind of illusion of equality that's not actually there. 
I, I think it, it, I think you're uh, what to, I, I would guess perhaps that maybe what your community has uh, experienced is a sense of false um, safety because they believe they have fulfilled the requirements of becoming a true American, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we, I think uh, when a lot of folks Im- immigrate here, it's be, it's to assimilate. And I think a lot of immigrant communities who come here really want to do that. It's the reason why my parents spoke English at home with me, unless I was in trouble and then they switched to Vietnamese and that's, <laughs> you know, like, Oh God. <laughs> but um, it, it, I think that, it's it's like a weird, not a weird, but like an unfortunate dream that so many communities have when they wake up and they realize, oh, you know, no matter what we do, we're not going to fit in. Um, on the West Coast, uh, which is where I live in San Francisco, like the Bay Area, and I think also like in the Seattle area, places where we have seen um, some of the earliest po- uh, points of Asian immigration from the 18. 18- 50s 1860s something like that um this is not new um the number of anti-chinese anti-japanese hate crimes on this side of the country um just because because we're on the pacific that makes sense um has been a very dark part of western american history it is just um i though i remember the first time i went to uh the monterey bay aquarium as an adult and actually read some of the um signs in the cannery row section and discovered that there was a quote-unquote mysterious fire that took down the chinatown close to monterey i'm like i wonder how mysterious that fire is. <laughs> turns right. out not so much right like there's there's an actual real urban legend here in San Francisco where Emperor Norton, um, really cool guy, we should have named the. If you don't know the him. story of Emperor Norton, that is like a you need whole to go. other Lazarus rabbit and hole. Go go it's find amazing. this out. Super interesting yeah. dude, um, but he managed to save Chinatown at that moment in time from a mob that wanted to burn it down by mm-hmm. shouting the Lord's Prayer repeatedly until they went away. However, like other cities with Chinatowns did not have an Emperor Norton to help save them. Um, many Chinatowns are burned down. So I, I think in the Bay Area, at least we have enough of a memory of those incidents to remember like, yeah, there's, <laughs> we can, as, as safe as we feel like we are, like, I think that that, that, ten, that sense of feeling of safety is so fragile. I will say, as somebody who so i i did most of my as a kid we went up to the mountains that's what we did to get to the mountains in california from where i lived we had to drive through the desert and that's actually like learning about like roadside you know you see the roadside monuments and you you know the signs you know like i always think about uh my wife's family loves to like stop whenever there's one of those and like read about the historical significance and i remember when I learned about the Japanese internment camps and realized that, you know, they were in an area that I was used to driving through that was just inhospitable. Like there's a reason that they were where they were located. They were in the desert of California. I mean, a a good amount of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was an area that people, I mean, George Takei is somebody who was in one of these as a kid. Um, So it's not like we're talking, you know, I think sometimes I think things need to be, put into a historical perspective for those of us that are alive. Like George Takei is Sulu. I mean, he's alive. He was in an internment camp in the deserts of California. Um, A lot of Japanese Americans were put just straight into these camps from their businesses and still were fighting for our country. And I think that this is like the wildest thing to me if we want to talk about this whole fake patriotism and stuff is we we have people that were doing that while their families were literally interred in America. I, and, and I don't know if people, I, I hope that it's being discussed more and more, but I don't know how much that stuff's actually taught in history schools or, or taught, I mean, in classes and, you know, this thing that we did, if you ever want to talk about, we would never do what Nazi Germany did. Well, you know, like we came down close. People know this history. Yeah, yeah we did. Um, yeah. So it's, it's definitely um, a thing that people 
would address more as like a whoopsie <laughs> in, in books. And, and that's, I think that, and, and yet, you know, the fact that Asian Americans, Jap- the Japanese American community, the Chinese American community um, persevered and were able to claw their way back to success. Um, I think that ties, once again, like kind of into back into the model minority and then more specifically um, the, the, the tiger parent uh, stereotype, which I, I, Ryan, I know you definitely want to get your teeth into that. <laughs> wow. Oh, you mean, uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, it's such a well-being thing. I mean, I don't know the whole idea of a tiger parent where you have this overbearing Asian parent who demands perfection, demands like perfect straight A grades. I never had that experience because I've adopted and my parents are, are white um, and very much Midwestern salt of the earth people. But I'd always see this in media and I was always very confused by it, but it's definitely a trope, which I think everyone constantly saw growing up, especially in the nineties. It was like nonstop, nonstop every show. Um, offhandedly, I remember the proud family, like the, um, I forgot the name of the triplets, but uh, they definitely had that going on as well. Where they were, uh, it was on, it was on Glee. You know, they made oh, jokes about Glee. the, a- yeah, they make jokes about the Asian F, and, and also I mean, um, Gilmore Girls with Lane Kim. Yes, with who, who's like seen as one of the best characters on the show, but like the the trope was there. I mean, it was like she had to rebel against a tiger parent. It's and the thing is that there is some truth to stereotype, right? Um, my parents were tiger parents, uh, for for sure, and I think that had a lot to do with, again with the intergenerational trauma of fleeing a war torn country, coming to this new country, and wanting very very hard to assimilate so that way we would not and their kids would not um, have to endure the same horrors that they had faced back in the homeland. Um, and then we also had that really great, haha, not great book called um, "Hymn of the Like Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother" by that one Yale professor who was an absolute asset. There is some truth to that, but the idea that this is almost seen as a like it, it's it's a traumatic experience that is too often exploited for entertainment and that is is sort of where i am yeah before we get too far into this because alex will kill me if i don't make sure to do this uh one of alex's biggest things is that we're defining our terms and so we're talking about tiger parenting um I think it's a concept that is semi-known, as you said, like the book was very famous, but just for people that are listening to this that may not know why, exactly what this trope is, and we are going to be discussing it in terms of magic storytelling. Does somebody want to recap a little bit about what tiger parenting kind of refers to? Uh, Ryan, you want to take a shot at this? Or oh, I mean, it's. Kind of, I was kind of talking really fast, but it's kind of like I was saying before, is just the overbearing Asian parent demanding perfection. Uh, what do you? Uh, let's give a little more explanation. What is the Asian F? That's an A minus. So the whole idea that anything less than perfection and getting like perfect grades, becoming a doctor, getting this like high paying job where you can take care of your family when you're older is unacceptable. That's completely unacceptable and you're a complete disappointment. And oftentimes in media, they will usually tie it back to, again, familial honor. Um, even so it's, yeah, sorry. I'm just kind of rambling. Uh, no, I mean, well, you're not at all. I don't think it, it comes from, um, I mean, this is a cultural thing as well, because in so many countries, uh, especially in East Asia, prescribe to this idea of the family unit uh, being what is uh, being the most important thing. Um, the, the family communalistic unit is, rather than, sorry, yeah, the communalistic rather than the individualistic. And so um, your responsibility as the offspring, as the next generation, is to improve the well-being of the previous one, right? Like always improving. And this comes from uh, an aspect of this does come from Confucianism um, in the sense that, you know, back in the day, uh, China and when it was doing all sorts of colonial stuff, like in Vietnam as well, a a way to legitimately better your family's fortunes was to take an exam in order to become a government official. And when you did that, you could do things like own land, you can get less taxes, you would be, your family would be taken care of for life. And that was real pressure. And that it's definitely like, and that is not necessarily the root of where everything comes from, but I think it serves as a very good example of how a lot of Asian East Asian American cultures consider um, their 
their family and their child's purpose within American society. Um, I certainly had that pressure as a child um, in the sense of you've got to, you've got to succeed. You've got to become a doctor um, because one, you know, we need to assimilate. I want you to be able to take care of me, but also like, this is for our family. Like you, it's not about you and what you want. It's about what our family wants from you. And I I think that ties in perfectly into what Killian, the character has to endure from his dad, Dean Ambrose. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so I just want, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the, having kind of a a wrap up of just what that is. And before we talk about this, I I do want to, one of the reasons we're talking about, about this idea is I think that, you know, I had somebody reach out to me through Twitter and kind of mention the fact that like, you know, what is kind of, what is, you, you retweeted these threads, what is kind of going on here? Like, I had overbearing parents that really demanded this, you know, that was the expectation. Um, and, and I want to say that this isn't something that is, you know, unique to description of Asian culture. However, it's when it's used as the stereotype and a trope. And that is where I think that we really want to be kind of focusing on this because of what we are hoping to see, because this is a common representation in media of Asian families and kind of stereotypes to the point of like caricature. Like that is what defines the character, Mm -hmm. which is different than, it existed. And you can actually see this in real life too. Um, I was complaining about an argument I was having with my mother about expectations and everything. And this guy came up to me and was like, yeah, you know, I hear Asian parents can be really rough. I'm like, nah, man, I'm adopted. Like, it's, my ex- it's my expectations of her because she's not managing her money correctly. And I'm upset with her because she's not being responsible. It has nothing to do with like my grades or anything. I'm, I'm great. I'm doing fine, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and when it's representation too for for minority groups that don't get as much representation as other groups it's just it's much harder as privileged white people it's really hard to understand that um, issue sometimes the idea of representation because we're represented everywhere there's people who look like us and and you you know there's people have individual things but you're going to find people that look like you and you there's so many characters that look like us you can start to find it's much easier to find people yeah it's like there's 50 shades of white in america in in media and we and as like people of color especially as asians like we get Mm -hmm. three (laughs) to put in the context of magic we got uh romance of the three kingdoms the set and kamigawa yeah yep oh no we got three oh oh, yeah we we did get turkey and we got smatterings in other planes like um like uh, Eldraine has Asian people for some reason. I'm not going on this rant. Ikoria doesn't, despite having kaiju tie-ins. Yeah, I remember with Yeah, yeah, we 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 got the token Asian person in the Asian theme set. Way to go! <laughs> right. like, I remember us discussing when that set came out. Like Ikoria seemed very perfect to be a Asian flavored world. Um, even when Michelle was on, we talked about this before when we talked about Luca and all everything. Like, yep could have had kaiju we could have had a legit kaiju set that was like literally i mean we even had godzilla ultimate art i don't ah i had an ex-nazi employee <laughs> ask me why like i was so upset about no asian people in ikoria and and just to be very serious uh, i'm obviously not gonna name them but i explained that it's it's the perfect kind of set to have like a representation of asian people in a set because even the racist trolls won't notice or care like it make it makes sense. It's not sure. Like European people complain that there are Asian people on Eldraine because you know trolls or whatever. Like, what are there Asian people in a European theme set? Whatever. If you say, "Hey, there's an Asian coded individual in the kaiju theme set," well, yeah. Where else would they well, be? Yeah, of course, that's where they're going to yeah, find them. I mean, it's a perfect time to and, put them in and then subvert some narrative. Yeah, and it's perfect though because like no one's going to question it, but you're still increasing the amount of representation. So the people like me and I again. I don't want to be for Michelle, but people like me look at that and go like, hey, there's an Asian character. I relate to them because I see someone who looks like me. Isn't that fantastic? And the racist trolls, it's completely under their radar. They don't care. They're happy. They, they, they don't even notice that. And it's just like, it seemed like such an easy, it was a gimme. It was a gimme. And they opted not to take it. And I just assume it didn't even cross their mind that it was like a, a it was a, it was a free spot in bingo, you know, to just... <laughs> Have more have more diversity in the set. Instead, no, we went with like if you look at the way the costumes, set. yeah, yeah, it, 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 they went with Rain of Fire. They had like the the costumes have a very Scottish look to them, 
it feels very <laughs> much like Reign of Fire, like the way General yeah. Kudrow and the way everyone handles things. Yep. And and like I think you were saying, Michelle, and now when they did decide to give us some representation, it's <laughs> it's in I'm a school based set. I'm sorry, Hobbs. I need I need to tangent. Are you referencing Reign of Fire, the movie from what was it, the nineties where dragons show up in like modern day Earth? Yeah, except it was specifically set in like Europe, so it had kind of a mini Braveheart feel. Wasn't okay. it but, um, it's in it? great. I believe so. Yeah, they yeah. were using artillery to fight just, dragons. Okay, but, that, cool. no, but that's kind of the feel what like the the survival, it's us versus them, the the giant monsters. No, and that's, that's, that's like, perfect. I just I, I needed to clarify that because I haven't thought about that movie for 15 years and I just needed to make <laughs> oh, sure I, that I was I just awoke any listeners, I just awoken a secret memory you may have forgotten about. So Yeah. You're welcome. You often manage to do that with movies and I appreciate it. Yeah, that. I guess if there was one thing that I do specialize in is uh people hate me at trivia nights and that's why I don't go anymore. <laughs> and and just for the listeners, because you know we're audio, so we're saying rain, because English is delightful and and synonyms and antonyms or whatever. We have words Humble that phones. sound exactly we have so many homophones we have so many things that are just weird and make our language difficult you're welcome so this is reign of fire r-e-i oh god g-h-n yeah oh no it's just g-n sorry yeah reign is in like a monarch reigns not not like the reign in spain or the thing that you put on a horse yeah, so if, if you decide that you want to go find this movie after Ryan's wonderful description of it, yeah, that's it, how you that's what you type into Google. It's literally and like with, Aurea with less diversity somehow. And with wow, <laughs> which is saying something. Uh, and with with Ryan's uh, accent being so South Dakotan, I thought he said a ring of fire. I thought we were going Johnny Cash here for a little oh, bit, no. but yeah, sorry, I didn't we're mean, not down that world yet. I, I derailed um, the topic. You guys were moving oh, no. to. Uh, no, I I very specifically derailed that. You you're fine. You're great. We welcome was, to the Goblin Lore podcast. We were, <laughs> we were talking about uh what related to killian was it dean the first time i just have to say real quick the first time michelle was on this it started out with somehow us coming up with the idea for the ravnica musical um the shamble sharks versus the weirds yes so good. Yep. that was like that was that was an episode on color pie and art so we're doing pretty well actually right now yeah i mean it was related to representation i guess See, yeah. Well, we, we were saying so. We were saying that. The, so, oh, we were, sorry. Go ahead. Recent. It, it, well, we're, we can because we're going to be talking about. I think a little bit more with Kamigawa, and at least just kind of the dearth of representation in magic. But this was an opportunity. We we it is a school set. There was this potential for kind of some stereotypes. Um, there was hope, though. I really think there was hope going into this, especially. I, I wanted to have some hope. Oh, absolutely. Killian looks fly. Like, oh, Killian yeah. is hot. Killian oh, is yeah. so freaking hot. Like, let me just... <laughs> I need to I need to reiterate how attractive <laughs> this boy is. <laughs> like, he's a young man who can... I, I can put this... Him, I can put him in a Prada, like, men's Milan Fashion Week lineup, like, uh, immediately. He's... He is, I think that's one of the reasons too why we're so excited. We're like, oh my God, it's a hot Asian male mask coated character. Like, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it always crossed my mind where I was like, you know, I can't really rock that haircut, but maybe I could cosplay that character just because he looks so stylish, you know? And yeah. that's actually, that's what representation does. It makes us go like, I directly relate to this person on a surface level. Or I'm very I want excited. to be that person. Yeah, exactly. And I want to read more and understand more. And just reading that article, I was like, and you, you may notice my language on that tweet was a bit more reserved than it has been. It's a mix of me being tired, but also like, you know what? I'm usually pretty hot-headed. I'm going to give a level head take. Like, I don't hit. I'm excited to see where it goes. But inside, I'm like, oh man, I don't know. You're so much more measured than me. I was just like, I yeah, tear this apart like a possum. I was, I was excited, like, no, you can take it this time. I'm, I'm not going to be the angry guy this I'm just, time. Like, I'm, I'm like, just going to take it apart like a possum through a trash can. Like we are, <laughs> we are, we are ripping this to shreds. I'm verbally eviscerating this shit because. Yeah, like, let's be honest. Michelle's display name currently is Michelle. Will not shut up about racism. Yes, it's a good name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think it was just so heartbreaking and what was uh, i mean so this was a dicebreaker article and this is our first glimpse of killian we saw a couple of those ooh code words that we were like hopefully maybe but we haven't seen the set yet right we haven't seen the cards definitely yeah maybe maybe it won't be so bad 
and then we saw the cards. Um, yes. Do we want to discover first which of the many the many interesting ones do we want to discuss? The the one about deep disappointment. Oh, you mean crushing disappointment? Oh yeah, it's crushing disappointment with Dean Ambrose distinctly looking down at Killian while he's working. Yeah. What is so in the card? Uh, so Killian shows up quite a few times in the set, uh, clearly as a B plot to five white characters, which we don't have to talk about right now, but just want to put that there. I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to just leave it and then walk away. Um, it's a formula that works, Michelle. I mean, have you seen WandaVision? Uh... <laughs> He's the Jimmy Woo of the set. It's great. He's going to do card tricks. It'll be fine. <laughs> I love Randall Park I'm... so much. I, I know. He's such a gem. Anyway, so... Um... I still said the idea of the X-Files theme with the show with him is I would watch it. Yeah, him and Darcy would just be like, him, Darcy, and, uh, oh, what's her name? Anyway, uh, Photon, the woman who ends up being Photon. But um, anywho, like, what is in all of these cards, whether it be, like, um, the, the Radiant Defiance or Brilliant Defiance and, like, the other cards, everything about those flavor texts is about Killian's toxic relationship with his father. And how his father, at all times, is a an emotionally abusive parent, and this is actually like taken and confirmed by one of the cards, I believe. Um, let me double check. It's the one where uh, he has been told like revived, right? So infused. Yeah, it's it's infused with vitality. vitality. So vitality. I have the yes, cards sorry. here. It says Dina raised her cup to Kellyanne's lips, and for the first time in his life, he knew compassion. And Ugh. I don't know <laughs> about anyone else, but that to me was a complete confirmation of the emotional abuse of just the abuse mm -hmm. that Killian had. And it's, it's really difficult to look at these um, cards because one, it's so, because he's so closely tied to his father in almost every single piece of flavor text, um, he Killian is never truly empowered as a character in his own right. And that is, I think, a very real tragedy here. And it, it centers his story around trauma, which mm -hmm. is such a complex topic. I mean, we've talked about it before um, within the context of Jace and toxic masculinity. But yep. it, we've talked, we've talked, trauma has come up a lot on this show and just the idea that with the with the hero journey, the trauma narrative, um, and well, we're now framing an, an Asian character that could have been a time to maybe, like you said, just be representation within the game to to not have to lean into tropes. This could have been that opportunity. So you're saying they could have done the bare minimum and then mm -hmm. didn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we look at his his card, Killian, Ink Duelist, the flavor text reads, when your father is Dean Ember's second best really isn't an option. If we just looked at that card on its own without understanding like the full context of the situation, it could be really badass. However, because we see from the other cards, we've seen from the Dicebreaker article what the full context of this whole story is, it is heartbreaking that even on his own freaking card killian can't get away from his father right like right it, it's just mm -hmm. so it, it's just so disempowering and it's incredibly disappointing it's, it's i would almost say it's crushing a disappointment it's a crushing disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> and just narratively he's he's not given his own space to be a character at least within the cards that we have, which I mean, we'll see what they do with actual. We'll see what they do with actual story and narrative. But you know, right. the, the whole point is of the cards. They're trying to tell story through the cards because they know that is the only way some people get it. And this is not telling a terribly compelling story. I mean, from the from a character standpoint, because there isn't. He's not given space to be much of a character. And we're not even talking about the mechanical slash flavor appropriateness that the Ambrose DM shadow card literally That's smacks his yeah. students. Yep. I yeah. was just going to, I like, I had it pulled up to look at yeah. because from a mechanical standpoint. Yeah, we should talk about Ambrose. Um, yeah. Cause, cause Let's the, talk about the Ambrose. card for Killian is really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to build that deck. It actually is really cool. Mechanically, 
Yeah, mechanically, Killian is a freaking awesome card. Oh, Design-wise. So constructed play even. It's so good. Uh, I just want to rewrite that flavor text. But but yeah, let's let's take <laughs> so let's uh, so let's for for the purposes of design mechanics, uh Killian is um a I believe he's a two three uh, three three? Two three? Um, two two. A two two. two. He is a two two for he's a very good bear. Uh, ten out of ten. Wow, that was just like set up. <laughs> he just hit that. Yep. And then so two two, and then we so with that, that's an important thing to keep in mind as we move on to talk about Dean Embrus, right? Because when he's a mono black, uh, stern Asian dad with a finger up, with a single pointer finger up, being like, no. And he reads tap, put a plus one plus one counter on another target creature, then. Ambrose, Dean of Shadow, deals two damage to that creature. So if Dean Ambrose were to target his own son, his son barely survives. But that. that's okay. Then, then his hippie friend can revive him. It's in the story. But, and if he dies, you get to draw a card. And that's what's so, like, again, heartbreaking about this whole design, right? Because... Mm-hmm. It literally is what we call tough love um, and the abusive kind. Um, And I think that the time and the place for a story like this um, is is one that allows and affords a lot of complexity and nuance. And it doesn't seem to, I would argue that maybe a, a set with less than 10 cards about this character is perhaps not the best way of executing this. Um, because what looking at all the art and the impressions we're getting, this this kid needs, like, he, he needs to be, his dad needs to leave. Like, he just needs to be taken away. And I don't know, like, he needs to spark and leave. Like, he just needs to spark and leave. And that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. Hotsku can be found at Hotsku, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Comicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmug, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten, or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at hipstersofthecoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.